Hey, YouTube theologians. Welcome to What Not, the podcast YouTube thing. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas, joined by Pastor Andy Packer of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Collinsville, Illinois. Pastor Packer, I heard a rumor about you. That is when you were a kid, you used to eat fireflies so that you could have glow-in-the-dark spit. Is that true? <laughs> um, I, I don't think so. <laughs> did you? Did my mom talk to you or something? I got to go know. back to my sources on you, my deep research, my oppo research. Here, my. What do you got for us today? Um, first question is: Is there any sense in which a Christian can keep the law? They say, "I know we cannot keep the law." Yet some of the term terminology seems to confuse me sometimes. Via the third use, the use for believers, it seems it in fact can be kept. Here's the terminology confusion. Not fulfilled, but kept in a sense. Kept, but not kept perfectly. I like to use the Bible's use of words when God says to keep the law and commandments countless times. Is there any sense in which the law can be observed or kept? Should we use certain terms? Thank you for your work. Yes. So the answer is, yes, we can keep the law. And the reason we can say that is because the Bible uses that language. Now, we, we, but here's the problem, is we think keeping the law means living a perfect life or never sinning. And in that way, we cannot keep, we cannot not sin. We, as long as we have the sinful flesh, a sinful nature, this inherited, fallen, corrupt nature from Adam and Eve, which the Lord will remove from us first in death and then in resurrection, so the Lord, pure, he strips off all sin from the soul and death. He strips off all sin and the effects of, the, of it from the body in the resurrection. And then we're free and without sin. So we will be sinners in, until we get to the new heaven and the new earth. So in that sense, we don't keep the law. But when the Bible talks about keeping the law, and this is all through the scripture, especially in the Psalms, blessed are those who keep your law, teach them to keep all the things. It's... It's talking first about those who receive the law so that it, this is the, the difference between the Christians is that do you have the fifth commandment? Do you have the sixth commandment? Do you have the seventh commandment? Do you know that it's right to not murder and to not commit adultery and to not steal? Do you know that it's right to honor the Lord's name, to fear, love, and trust in him above all things? Do you, do you, do you have the law? as your right and wrong, as your, as your understanding of what is true. That's what it means to keep the law. There, we have to realize that there's, like, there's people who don't, like, they don't think that they're sinners according to the Ten Commandments because they don't have the Ten Commandments. I mean, they, they look at our, just to take the Sixth Commandment, you shall not commit adultery, and the Christian's requirement for, for chastity, both outside of marriage and inside of marriage, that, that call to sexual purity... The, the the unbelieving world does not have it. They don't have the sixth commandment. We, on the other hand, have it. We we keep it. We hold to it, even if it condemns us, even if it condemns our unpure thoughts, our unpure words, our unpure deeds, even if it condemns us, we hold on to it. So to so the in the first way that we keep the law is that we let the Lord's we, the Lord's law is also our law, and in that way we are the keepers of the law. Then. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are beginning to show the wisdom of that law in our lives, but it's always a beginning. So this is how the our Lutheran 
fathers would teach us to think of our life of good works is that we're big we're beginning to love we're beginning to serve we're beginning to suffer we're beginning to understand we're, these are all just beginning they're never complete until again we get to the resurrection but in that way we we keep the lord's law we we hold we treasure it we let it it is the lord's law is our law even if it condemns us it is our we hold to it. we don't throw it out because we don't like it no in that way we keep the ten commandments what do you think about that uh, I appreciate the way they worded the question, saying they want to speak the way the Bible speaks, because I don't think you can read the Bible without getting away from the notion that Christians do, in some sense, keep the law, and they are growing in keeping the law, which is the language our confessions uses, too, that we begin and grow more and more, not that we ever become perfect in keeping it, but that we're growing in keeping it, or as Luther says, our baptism, right? Uh, it's producing the fruit of the Spirit in us, and it's daily putting to death the wicked vices in us so that we're, we're growing in these things. Um, again, because that's the work of the Spirit in us, not not just us in our, our flesh doing those things. But the Bible makes it clear that that's what we as Christians do and that Christians actually do strive to live different lives than non-Christians. I've heard uh, even Lutherans say, well, the non-Christian and the, the Christian don't look different at all. And I'm like, well, that's not... That's not what Paul says. <laughs> Paul, Paul says, such were some of you. He doesn't say, yeah, this is the way you still are. He says, you used to do those things, and, and now now you're different. You're a new creation. You're you're striving in a different direction. Uh, I really love, the, one of my favorite quotes on this, though, is, is Gerhard. He says that every wicked deed we do is 100% wicked, but there's never any good deed that we do that's 100% good. Hmm. Um, so that every wicked, every wicked deed we do is 100% wicked and needs to be, you know, condemned. But there's never a sense when we do a good thing and it's 100% pure and good. There's always part of it that needs to be forgiven because we're in the sinful flesh. And the way I always explain this to uh, Bible studies or in sermons is that when God looks at us, he looks at us through the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus covers our works. So that they're good works because they're done in faith in him. And because our works are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, even that that sinful, wicked part that Gerhard's talking about, that, you know, maybe we did something good, but we, we were hoping someone would pat us on the back for it, you know, or or we did it begrudgingly, or we, we did this good thing for our, our neighbor out of love for them. But at the same time, we did it because we wanted um, uh, all our friends to tell us that we're a really great person for doing this thing. Yeah. Like, all, all those kind of struggles that we have in the flesh, but that because of the blood of Jesus, if I have faith in him, his blood covers that sin so that God looks at the work and says, it's good because you did it in faith. Not that it was perfect. And I think that's where people get caught up is that this idea that you said, trying to keep it perfectly uh, as if that were possible for us in this life, we know it's not. And so then someone will say, well, then there's no sense in trying, but that's, that's not the image we're given the, the scripture. We're told to strive to do these things. Our confessions say the same exact thing. You strive after these things, knowing you don't get it perfect knowing that the blood of Jesus covers your sins. And, and that's, that's a Christian life in a nutshell, I think. And how is that? I mean, how wonderful is that? Is that we hear, like, here's my good work, but it's stained with my own sin and flesh and wicked desires and all this nonsense. And the Lord receives it as a as a gift. And he actually, re, he rewards us for the goodness of our messed up works that he he makes good by the blood of Jesus. <laughs> it's so yeah it's, that's that's one of amazing. saint augustine's quotes right he says that uh uh god is so gracious that he rewards us for the good works that he's worked in us through his holy spirit <laughs> he actually, like he he works these in us and we do them and then he rewards us for them um and, and it's all kind of an amazing thing that uh 
which is also very freeing, right? If, if you know that, that the goal isn't for me today to, to go out and be perfect. Um, I think that often, often leads Christians like in some kind of despair, right? That the goal for me today is to go out and be perfect. Whereas the goal is to go out and to, to strive to love God and your neighbor and as, you know, strive to do it as best as you can this day. And when you sin, you repent. Like that's, that's the Christian life. Uh, yeah. The idea that you're going to do it perfectly, um, I think keeps a lot of people from even trying to do anything like that. Right. Well, I'm not going to do it perfectly. So what's the point? Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's backwards from the New Testament wants us to be free to love and serve because we know that Jesus is going to cover our, our failings this day and that we can strive to do great things for him because even the things we get wrong, he can use for good. Fantastic. That's great. Someone was talking about how we we need to really. I was yesterday. I was talking to someone. They said you need to put some stuff out. We need to do more on our Lutheran view of sanctification, because I mean, because number one, it's different than the evangelical view. But number two, we have a view of sanctification, and part of the problem is that it just gets kind of glossed over. So we got It's good to, to get this conversation going. So you have that article. Um... I've directed people to it several times on the website that um, about feeding the two fires, mm -hmm. right? The, the dousing the fire of the sinful flesh. And, um, and I think it's a really helpful place to start for those who haven't um, looked at that. I think it's yeah. a, a good starting well, point for understanding the Lutheran view of sanctification and the Christian life. So how does Paul say, he says, make no provision for the flesh to desire its sinful. Uh, it's to, de to satisfy its sinful desires so that, we we have two desires in us. We have the desire of the flesh, and then we have the mind of the spirit. It's interesting that the word desire in Greek is never used for the spirit, even though the spirit wants things. It doesn't. It's just a different kind of wanting. And so, so the, our fleshly sinful desires is one kind of, I don't know, energy or or flame or something. And then our, the desires of the spirit are another. And so we have to, we have to cultivate them. We, we're, we're cultivating godly desires and we're, we're working to extinguish sinful desires. And, and Luther connects that so wisely from the scriptures to our baptism. So baptism is this dousing of the fire so that daily repent. It's one of the things that we have to grow in is a disgust in our sinful nature. It's part of what repentance is, is that we, that we're just, kind of blech at the flesh and ready for the Lord to rescue it. So, Yeah, like, like the collects that we just had for the first Sunday um, in Advent talks about how threatening and perilous our sins are. Um, and we have to be reminded of that so that we fight daily against it. Um, I always tell people, if, if you're not fighting in the Christian life, if there's no warfare going on within your soul, that's that's a bad sign. Sometimes I think Christians take it as a bad sign that there's this like war raging within them. And I'm always like, no. That's actually a really good sign. Yeah, <laughs> like it may, nice. may be worse. It may be a greater fight some days than others, but there's always that that tension in that battle. And if that stops, that's that's not a good thing because that doesn't end until we're we're in the grave and at the face of Jesus. And I, I always think it's, I think because there's a twofold ending of that. I think this is important too. So we we are body and soul, and all the way corrupt with sin. The flesh runs through our body and soul. So that flesh is removed from the soul at death, and it's removed from the body at the resurrection. And that's, that's wonderful. That's a good place to end on that one. All right. Ready for the next one? Yeah, this I'm ready. A, 
It's titled New Age Question. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, let's see. This is just thanking you for all your work. Blah, Whoa, blah, you're blah. Welcome. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, um, I have a family member who is into manifesting and the law of attraction. He seems to think it is bringing him closer to God and completely compatible with Christianity. I have concerns it is new agey and connected to the occult. I have sent him some information from other podcasts about the major red flags and why it is not theological, theologically correct and actually a very scary thing to pursue. His reply was, these acts without a doubt bring me closer to God because, again, he's that energy for me to feel. I don't think my family member is alone in thinking this way. I actually see this as a common trend among my evangelical Christian friends as well. What tips and advice would you give me to best handle this topic? The first verse that comes to mind is the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and he does not say the wind, the Spirit blows where it wills. You don't know where he comes from or where he's going, but you feel him. That's not what <laughs> Jesus says. He says, but you hear him. And the Lord has given us the uh, to receive his spirit and to receive his gifts, he's given us ears. The faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's Romans chapter 10. And so, so this idea, there's, this, this is the heart of mysticism, is that, that I have some sort of internal sense, uh, like a divine presence of meter uh, that, that indicates my closeness or farness to God. That, um, so that's the heart of mysticism, and it's it's ingrained in us. It it's it's that that was what was awakened in Eve when the when the devil in the garden said, uh, uh, "You will not surely die. God knows you will not surely die." That there's this part of us that knows. There's this part of us that on the inside that knows better. The, the technical term that Luther introduces for this idea, I think Luther in, introduces it. I, I don't know if he's picking up on someone else. I've never seen it. But the word is enthusiasm. And that is that the the theater of of divine activity or the, the, the theater of theological work is internal, not external. So it's now a matter of feelings. And he, so here's the here's. So, OK, there's a that's number one. It's wrong. And number two, it's very, very dangerous. You live by the feelings, you die by the feelings. Uh, and that death by feeling is brutal. You've experienced it, Pastor Packer. I've experienced it. Every evangelical has this experience to one degree or another. And we use all sorts of words to describe it. It's, I'm in the wilderness. I'm going through a drought in my life. I feel spiritual, spiritually empty. Well, that's because you're asking God to keep promises he hasn't made. You're trying to cash checks that God hasn't written. You're forcing him to, 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 um, uh, to, to meet you in a place where he has told you he won't, he, he's not going to meet you. He, he, he wants to come by hearing by the word. And every move away from the word is a move away from certainty. So while the, this person's family memorized was it son brother cousin they I don't remember they um th they think that they're drawing near to god they 
are setting themselves up for you, I mean you can just see it happening. They're setting themselves up for a drastic fall. Now, in some ways I don't know if I, I always try to just strategically how to approach the argument is like do you you you, you want to give them hints on the one hand that when they finally hit rock bottom that you have something to say to them. Like, hey, I know that what I'm telling you doesn't sound like good news now, but there will be a time when you will need good news and I want you to call me. You're kind of, you know, like you're trying to set yourself up so you can be there to scoop them up when this vacuous nonsense shows itself to be vacuous nonsense. In the meantime, though, how do you help to kind of poke at it so that you can you can help this house of cards fall? It's that's also a strategic thing. But I've written about it a little bit in Has American Christianity Failed Against Mysticism and the Dangers That Are There? We always want to be focusing on the external word because we have something better there. We have something more sure. That's what that's the gift that Jesus was surprisingly giving to Peter, James, and John in the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter writes about it in Second Peter chapter 1, that we were there on the mountain, and now we have something more sure, the prophetic word. So God is always, he's always making his word the most sure thing. It's interesting because they, they said that they feel like it's compatible with Christianity, but what they had to do to get there was take this law of attraction, which used to be just called what the power of positive thinking, right? Vincent Norman, Norman Peale goes back to him. Uh, I mean, it goes back further than that, but in America, especially. So this idea that if I just have a positive attitude, I can manifest these things in my life. Um, usually in Christian circles, it goes by like the name it, claim it, health and prosperity gospel. But, but here they're just sticking with the kind of secular terminology of law of attraction. But to get there, they had to say, it's compatible with Christianity because of how it makes me feel. It wasn't, it's compatible with Christianity because I found it in the Bible, and this is what God's word says, that I can go around and manifest my own destiny and make things happen to me because of my good vibes and positive energy that I put out to the universe or whatever. Like, it's because I can feel God, uh, which is, like you were just explaining, is extremely dangerous for a number of reasons. One, how do you know you're feeling God and not not a demon, quite frankly. I mean, like, it's just, it's a weird way to argue that um, it's compatible because it makes me feel a certain way rather than even trying to look at the Bible. So already from the get-go, they've already removed themselves from God's word. And so it doesn't really matter what God's word says because it makes me feel a certain way. And once you're there, you've already rejected the authority of the word for what's going to say on that issue because you've already made up your mind. Well, it makes me feel good, therefore it must be right. And um, I would echo like reading that section of um, your book, I think would be helpful. And um, just going to the new Testament, looking at all the times where the Bible says there's going to be suffering for us, where there's going to be difficulties. It doesn't say if you just think hard enough or have a good added positive attitude that you will get all these great things in your life. It, it actually were promised the opposite quite often that there'll be difficulties and struggles, but that we're still to trust the Lord, even when that's happening. So um, it's dangerous on multiple levels, but it's it's something that you have to attack with the word because that's what they've drifted away from. That's it, it, it'd be nice to replace this error, which is like that somehow our thoughts when it and when it comes into the this kind of positive thinking thing, they, it's the power of faith, right? But that, but in the pagan sense, it's the power that our thoughts can bend the universe and the idea that 
it's like um, we create like a gravity of good, like a well of good and a mountain of bad. So bad, it's like it's I don't know. It's like the universe is this texture and we draw good things to ourselves and we expel bad things to ourselves. And we do that by the power of our thoughts. The biblical picture is that we are in desperate need and the Lord hears our prayers. So it's not the power of positive thinking. It's the, um, I suppose it's the power. I don't know. It's the, it's the authority. It's the, it's the presence of God who hears and answers our prayers. That's, that's what the Christian wants to, to, to hold on to so that we ask the Lord for the things that we think would be good for his kingdom and for our place in the kingdom, our homes, our churches, our neighborhoods. We ask the Lord for those things, and he answers according to his timing and his good pleasure, and we wait for him. But we know that he answers prayers. All our power consists in this. All our help consists in this, that we pray. This is how, how Luther would teach us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Um, and so so I would commend to you, especially Luther's explanation of the Lord's Prayer. And I just did this little thing. In fact, if maybe if the person who's writing this quite, if we can email them out, uh, this PDF of this little book that we did, um, Luther's explanation of the Lord's Prayer, and I did a little Bible study on each of them. Uh, so we can email that too. So, so th that's the opposite. So we don't want to just say, well, hey, that's wrong, because there is a biblical alternative way of thinking, and that is not that the universe is this sort of cosmic thing. It's, it is that God is, Jesus sits on the throne and rules and re reigns all things for the sake of this church. I was just looking at this quote, getting ready to send it out for, um, on the Wednesday whatnot. Where is the book? It's got to be, it's, it's, uh, I bet I can find it. I bet it's right here on my desktop. I bet I just put it away so I can. But it's it's a John Stone Street book, and he says, "Do we live in the world of Jesus, Richard Dawkins, or Oprah?" <laughs> he says, "Basically, this is the these are the three options that are floating around: that we have a biblical worldview, or we have a totally materialistic Richard Dawkins worldview, or more likely, we have this spiritual universe Oprah worldview." And this um, kind of new age manifesting law of attraction is Oprah. This is Oprah. We don't live in Oprah's world. We live in Jesus' world. It's it's also right going back to the Garden of Eden. It's uh, you you shall be like God, right? I mean, it's it's really saying I can shape reality by my thinking, which is putting yourself on making yourself a god, right? I have the power to make reality for myself what it will be which is the same problem we see behind all kinds of issues in our culture. It's just the same thing going back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, mankind trying to take the place of God and do what, do it according to his will and purpose, shape the universe rather than submitting to, to God's rule and authority over it. I, f I found the quote, by the way. This is, this is one of these great places where it's a book by John Stone Street, and in that book he quotes another book by John Stone Street. <laughs> I got. I want to do that more, more often myself, as I said before. Anyway, he says, "Is this world we live in a creation, an accident, or an illusion? Do we live in God's world, or was God an invention we brought into our world? Is the world we live in the one described by Jesus, Richard Dawkins, or Oprah? Are we nothing more than biological byproducts of the uh, of time plus change plus matter? That's Dawkins materialism. 
is the world nothing more than a fabrication of our minds? That's Oprah. That's the idea that it's an illusion, the Hindu Eastern idea. That's, no, we live in God's world. So. All right. Do you have time for one more? Sure. Let's do it. All right. This one's pretty short, really. Um, is it a sin to not want children? That is to want to get married and not have children produced by that marriage. She says, I do not feel a longing desire to produce offspring that women are apparently supposed to possess. Is this lack of desire for motherhood something I am supposed to repent of? And can I never get married unless I feel that desire? So this, first of all, this is a good pastoral care question because there's so many different variables that are as difficult to take as an abstraction. But to take it as an abstraction, which is what we kind of have to do here, the answer is probably. It's probably a sin. Uh, it would be interesting to see where that all comes from and to wrestle through it. It's good for us to realize that most of the things that we want and don't want are probably sins. <laughs> So, uh, it, so it kind of goes up alongside the other, uh, probably a sin sort of thing. It's, um, there's a danger. Let's just caution. There's a, as soon as we start trying to, to sort out our own desires and our motivations and the things that are behind all that, we go, we are going into dangerous territory. And it's, it's probably not good to go alone. It's probably good to have someone who's tethered to the scriptures to go along with you and to start thinking, well, why, you know, why not? What's going on here? Why don't I want to have children, et cetera, et cetera. But we realize that the things that we, in fact, the, the act of having children the, the, and, the, and the fact of having children is one huge exercise in not getting what you want. <laughs> Like, for example, sleep. <laughs> it's, you're like, man, I, you know what I want to do tonight? I want to sleep all the way through the night. Is that too much to ask? And your baby says, yes, that is too much to ask. You don't get it. Or whatever else, you know. I mean, ch children are uh, th probably the most magnificent way of God pulling us out of ourselves. I mean, spouses first and then children uh, and grandchildren, our vocation, it's all pulling us out of ourselves and saying, look, I am not here in this world to do what I want to do. That's not why God has put me here. He's put me here so that I could receive his gifts and bless other people, love and serve them. So I was reading a uh, uh, book uh, the other day about uh, a lady who from childhood had same-sex attraction and she was, but she was also a Christian. And she said, look, I don't, so I, I'm not, I, I don't belong to myself. I belong to the Lord and I'm a woman and I'm, and I'm created either to be chaste or to be a wife and a mother. So she's married and she has children and she still wrestles against this, this attraction, but she's says, I, that doesn't matter. I'm not here. I'm not, this is not, my life is not here to get what I want. I'm here. I, I'm called to something bigger, even by the command of God, to be fruitful and multiply. So, if that command uh, rebukes you, now to the question of, is it okay to pursue marriage apart from the gift of children? It's good for us to recognize that that even the possibility of that was is a new option, right? Like the technology of birth control and things like this have made that a seeming option for, for us in the last hundred years. So. 
never in the history of the world was that like could you actually separate those two things intimacy and and childbearing you could try but uh you know good luck so uh so that so to recognize that the possibility of trying to have those two things marriage without children is a very very new possibility so it and it's 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 not in the mind of the bible there's a reason why we call marriage the right of holy matrimony because it's the mater that comes along with the bride if, to be a bride is to be a, a mother and to be a bridegroom is to be a father these, these um in fact it's embedded in the command a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to the wife and the two will become one flesh and we're like and adam and eve have to think well what's a father and a mother <laughs> like we we don't even know what those are so that father and mother is 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 wrapped up into the office of husband and wife now i think i could imagine i could imagine places where and I think, Pastor Pack, you got to tell me if you think this too. You could imagine sitting with a couple and they'd be like, look, we, we would like to be married in, in God's name to honor God. But but f because of this and this and this, having children is extremely unwise. Or you could even imagine, you could take that out of it. And you could imagine two, uh, a widow and a widower who are 85 years old and having children is not seemingly possible unless the Lord intervenes like with Abraham and Sarah. And... And you could say, well, we so we can't have children. Is, would it be good for us to be married? You could say, yeah, that would be good. That would be that would be good for you to be married. So you can imagine a marriage that would be good without children, but that's not that's not the normal way of thinking about it. So if there is a way of of saying that I I don't have that desire for children, how, what do I think about that? How do I address that? I think that's a really good pastoral care question. And I think that's the danger, right? Where the exceptions become the rule, like, well, so-and-so is infertile. Well, that's, that's different, right? <laughs> that's, that's because we live in a fallen civil world. You're unable to, I was thinking about it as you were talking that like we have a threefold purpose of marriage, right? We say it's, it's for procreation for children. It's to be a help me. And then a fight against temptation is usually the way we talk about this. What if someone said, I want to get married, but I don't want to be a help meet. Or I want to get married and I don't want to be faithful. I don't need it as a help against temptation because I'm just going to do what I want. We'd say, well, you're not looking for marriage, right? Um, so I think to try to split up those three things, like you said, that's a pretty modern invention to split up those things and to, to say that we can have uh, the intimacy apart from children and uh, make it seem like an easy thing these days. and Or make it even seem like on the flip side, we act as if you could, someone can just get married and have babies. Cause that's not the way it works either. Like there's, there's lots of couples who have tried to have kids and have a very hard time having children. It's, it's, we believe the Bible in the Bible that God opens the womb. God closes the womb. God blesses us with children. Um, and that they're a blessing from him. So I, I can't imagine a situation where going into marriage right from the get go, you say, well, I, I don't ever want this to produce children, but I want to be married. I, I would probably say to the person, you know, if they came in for a pastoral care situation, someone who comes into me and says that I'd be like, Okay, well, what do you think marriage is? What What is the purpose of marriage if it's never to have a family? Um, and again, that's like you said, there's situations where that, that could be the case, where that's just the way it is, and that's different. But someone who's able to have children who comes in and says, I want to be married but never want to have a family, I'd ask them, I think, what is marriage for ultimately? Um, and go from there. We have to be there. So what we want is... The, 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 our doctrine of concupiscence, which is that we are, 
bent towards sin, that we want the wrong things. Uh, most churches say that wanting the wrong thing is not yet a sin. You have to actually act on that desire for it to become sinful. But one of the uniquenesses of our Lutheran doctrine is we say, no, actually wanting the wrong thing is also a sin. So that it's really quite wonderful that we can repent of wanting the wrong thing and we can be forgiven of wanting the wrong thing so that the gospel even is applying to our wants, our broken wants. And and one of our big things of sanctification is the is the stewardship of our own desires and to say, well, what, you know, ha- have I been trained by the world to want the wrong things? And the answer for all of us is, is yes. But especially when it comes to children and motherhood, the, 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 the world and the devil have done a, a tremendous job at despising motherhood and despising children and and despising the work and the pain and the joy of 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 having a family and we one of our christian ways to do that is and and we it this is a kind of romans one thing we we just absorb the cultural things of right and wrong it affects our own conscience part of our sanctification is saying no that is wrong whatever it is that the lord has given to me as his command i and as it, it, when my sinful desires go against that then i i can repent and rejoice in the lord's forgiveness and ask the lord to cultivate in me a desire for the th- gifts that he wants to give i was thinking you mentioned at the beginning that it's it's hard cuz of the abstract nature of like what you know not having a a person we're actually talking to about this, but I think that's part of the problem with like the question itself, right? Like they're seeing children as an abstraction, like children, like this thing out there. But once you give birth and hold that baby in your arms, it's no longer an abstraction. And I, I think you'd be hard pressed at that point to say, I don't really want this thing. Right. Like, right. I mean, I, I think once you hold that baby that has a name that you've carried for nine months, that's a very different thing than saying, I have no desire for this abstract notion of children kind of out there holding your own child is a vastly different thing. Um, it's, it's a, a profound, wonderful thing. And, um, uh, that's probably enough right there to, to end up, or even, you know, going through the pregnancy itself, uh, enough to see your desires, uh, take shape and change when, when you receive that, that wonderful gift from the Lord. So that's right. And love is greater than just what we want too. you know? So even husband and wife, sometimes you don't want to be, uh, loving and affectionate to your spouse, but you don't have the option. You know, the co- the command to love overrides what you want to do. Sometimes I don't want to help with the dishes or whatever. Sometimes, rarely does that happen. But every once in a while, my sinful flesh will get, you know, carried away. You know, honey, I got important radio podcasts to make. I can't be helpful. <laughs> Just looking over my shoulder here. Uh, but you, <laughs> so what say, you can we want bring her in and ask her this? <laughs> what you want doesn't. What you want most of the time doesn't matter. And the and the quicker we get over the, well, what do I want? The probably the easier life gets starts to get. But what am I called to do? What is you know what's duty, vocation, calling? What is what does this 
put me to. And that's, that's actually, surprisingly, a, a happier life. Now, I hate to mention this because as soon as you mention it, you kind of it kind of pops the bubble, right? Because because d- d- people who are led by duty versus people who are led by desire are happier people. The problem is if you're like, well, okay, I want to be happy, so I'm going to be more dutiful. That pro- <laughs> you you wreck it. You know, you that that, that kind of you you undercut the motivation even. So the point is, serve God and the neighbor, and that's that's what you're called to do. That's the that's our end in life, and then God be praised. He he is good to that. He is good to that. Good questions that's today, it. Pastor Packer. Nicely done. Well, nicely done. The question senders. Thank you. If you want to send in your questions, you can send them to wolfmuller.co slash contact. There's an email. Pastor Packer checks that. He also check. Did you check the comments on the last ones? Did we get any any trolls um, hanging around? Any? No, no trolls this time. That was nice. Yeah. Uh, nice. A few comments, not, not not a lot of questions. So if you want to put them on the Pastor Packer goes and checks those two. Uh, so you can put that there. Uh, Wednesday Whatnot is the free weekly-ish email. Yeah, I think I'll send out that John Stone Street with the Oprah quote uh, this week. So that's there for you as well. Uh, and um, I think that's all. Any other announcements that we need, Pastor Packer? No. Blessings on everyone's day. Yeah, God's peace be with you.